0: Lord God, Heavenly Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled us unto yourself. So let us learn to live in his righteousness, trusting in you for forgiveness, and living according to your will. And Lord, let us join in the celebration, for your Son was dead and is alive again. And through his death and his resurrection, we are invited to the heavenly banquet. So this morning, as we gather, let us feast upon your word. For there we see the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And by reading these words, le- lead us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, give us life in His name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, we are in John chapter one. What? Went so much to bring back, back, back your pedestal. Know? Went back to the open? Oh, is that what happened? Oh, that, look at that. I didn't even see it over there. <laughs> look at that. I, this is exciting. I'll, I'll switch it while we're reading. Um, okay, so John chapter 1. Remember, one the main thing we're tracing through this is in John chapter 1, we're encountering the question of, is John the Baptist reliable as a witness to Jesus Christ? That's the question of John chapter 1. Is John a voice you can listen to. Because the, remember, the point of the Gospel of John is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, Son, the Son, of Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in His name. This is a matter of life and death. So, you better be believing the right thing if you want to live. If you don't believe the right thing, what happens? You die. Okay? So, all in favor of life, you want to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. If you're going to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, you've got to know who to listen to about Jesus. Okay? We're going to assume that Jesus is trustworthy, but we'll see if that's true or not. But, but other people talk about Jesus. And so we've got to figure out how do you know what to believe about Jesus? And don't forget that all of this is by a guy who's writing a gospel that you're supposed to believe to be the truth. So all of this is also him saying, you can believe my gospel to be the truth about Jesus. Okay? This is also the point of the the other gospels. They say this as well. In Mark, it says, This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? So, Mark says that he's going to write his gospel about Jesus, the Son of God. And at the end of his gospel, at the death of Jesus, the centurion says, truly this man was the Son of God. So Mark is saying, see, I presented you the Son of God, Jesus as the Son of God. In, Mark, in Luke's gospel, he says to Theophilus, I wrote these things that you may be assured of the things you have been taught. Okay, so he's saying, I'm writing this to, to tell you the truth. I'm not lying to you, right? Matthew keeps saying, you know, this, this story I'm telling you about Jesus, I'm, it's actually the story of the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ. And he goes back and he shows you this by beginning his gospel with What does Matthew begin with? You all all skip it. The genealogy, okay? Remember, back in Genesis, when Moses wanted to show us that we could trust that this actually happened, he would tell us genealogies, right? He would say, here's the story. He'd say, now, now, I can tell you that this happened in history because I can tell you the, the genealogy of the people involved, okay? Well, Matthew does the exact same thing to begin his gospel to show us that what he's saying is true. Okay, so all the Gospels make sure the reader believes that what they're saying is true because the story of Jesus is that important. Your eternal reality rests upon the identity of this man, Jesus, as God in the flesh who died and rose for the forgiveness of the sins of the whole world. That is What your entire eternity depends upon. Belief in that, and you live forever in heaven with God. Rejection of that, and you go to hell. That is the New Testament teaching. Yeah? Wait? Okay. So, what we're saying is then you best know the truth about Jesus. And John is saying, my gospel tells you the truth about Jesus and I'm going to tell you other people who tell you the truth about Jesus. Okay? So, what we're establishing in chapter 1 is, remember, go back to the prologue in John chapter 1. It says, there was a man sent from God. He was sent to be a witness in order to witness about the light. The light is Jesus, of course. So now we're trying to figure out if John the Baptist was a faithful witness. That's the point. Okay? Remember all that? That was from a couple weeks ago. Any questions so far? Any questions from, from the other weeks that I wasn't here that you wanted to ask? I, didn't, I should have asked that first. Okay. If you think of something, we can go for it. So let's read John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and in more and more than witness that this is the Son of God. Okay, thank you very much. So, obviously the guy talking the next day, he, the he is John the Baptist, right? The baptizing John guy, not the author of the Gospel, John, but the baptizing John guy, right? It's not my fault they're all named John. I don't know why that happened. It just did. Okay? Um, so, we went over the Lamb of God last time, how that's, how that's um, Old Testament words about the, the, the Savior who would come as servant and sacrifice. It's all kind of tied together through Isaiah and the Exodus. So, going on from 29 then, um, number one, how is, how is this story in John of Jesus' baptism different than the other Gospels? What's the first thing you notice that's totally different about the other Gospels? He declares him the Lamb of God. Okay, he's the Lamb of God, which is a unique thing for John. Yeah. Good. And then he also declares that he came. he ranks before me because he was. Yeah, John says different. John says he came before me because he ranks before me, which is going back to the prologue, right? That's actually a quotation of John in the prologue. Okay, so that's, that's different. But what else? On a, on a bigger level, what's different? He saw Jesus. Yeah, he psalmed. But what's, on a bigger level, what's missing? The actual, baptism. the actual baptism. You don't read about the actual baptism. It's missing. This is a really unique thing about the Gospel of John. That you don't have the baptism of Jesus. You simply have John kind of telling you about it. The other Gospels actually lay it out as it's happening, right? On that day, Jesus came to John and then he went to the Jordan River. and You don't have any of that in this Gospel. You just have John the Baptist bearing witness to what happened. Do you see that? So this is something we're going to get used to in the Gospel of John, is there are going to be things that are alluded to in the Gospel of John that you don't actually hear happening, like the Transfiguration, the Lord's Supper. Okay, They're going to be alluded to, but you don't actually hear them happening in a narrative form. Does this go back to the idea that this is written so much later that they expected Matthew, Mark, and Luke to be already understood. That's exactly right. And that's why I fall in the camp of believing that John wrote this to people who are already reading the other Gospels. Okay? I believe that John's audience for this was familiar with the other Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark. Okay? If you look at the the way that John uses some of his words in the stories, it kind of seems like the Gospel of Mark is the one that John is thinking through as he's writing this. But yeah, I believe that that some of these things are done because John's like, well, I don't need to to rehash this. You guys already know the story, right? I'm just going to give you some details or fill it in the blanks, okay? So it's very different than the other Gospels in that you don't actually hear the story. It's simply John's testimony to what happened. And that's, remember, this is not weird to us because when John the Baptist came on the scene, He, in this gospel, John's the one that says, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. He identifies himself with Isaiah 40. In the other gospels, the gospel writer identifies John the Baptist as the one prophesied in Isaiah 40. So again, it's the same kind of move. Instead of having a description of something that happened in a narrative sense, you actually have the character inside the narrative describing the event to the reader. Does that make sense? In some ways, John the Bap- John's, John's gospel is more fun to read because you're actually inside the story more, whereas the other gospels kind of step out and tell you stuff as a narrator, right? John, you're kind of always inside the story, which can sometimes be frustrating because you don't know who's talking because, you know, it doesn't tell you. But, but yeah, that's, that's a major difference, Okay. So, number two, who is involved in the baptism of Jesus? Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit. Who else? John. The Father, because John says, the one who sent me, right? That's who, that's the Father. The Father is the sending God. Yeah, when you talk about the Trinity, the Father's job is to send. Okay, so the Spirit is there, the Father is there and now we're, we got to make sure we have every part of the trinity that'd be the, the son okay and explicitly says the son of god so we have the trinity in the one who sins, in the holy spirit and the son of god explicitly in the baptism of jesus so as in the other gospels the baptism of jesus is a trinitarian event now let's just make sure we don't miss that is that baptism Is a trinitarian event, right? That's kind of important. So, when you hear the name of the Trinity, what should you think? Stand up. Triangle. Triangle. Stand up. What else do you think? <laughs> baptism. Okay. Whenever you hear the name of the Trinity, you should think baptism. And the question is, are you baptized? If you are baptized, then you are now in some ways and somehow attached to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So now your baptism draws you to God. You are a child of God. You belong to God. You are forgiven by Him, right? You are part of this. So this is why... When when the pastor says in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are more than welcome to make the sign of the cross over yourself to remember that you are baptized. Right? When the when the when the pastor pronounces absolution, he does so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, and this is this is all tied. To the way that God comes to us through baptism, through his word to forgive our sins and so this again is a very strong tie to our identity as the children of God. Right? Does that make sense? Which is why we stand because we praise God for including us in his family for forgiving our sins, giving us eternal life. Yeah? Questions? Thoughts? Comments? You guys don't remember how this works. I'm not supposed to talk the whole time. You're supposed to ask questions and then I answer them. Matt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's okay. I wrote them to get you guys to talk. So in we talk about into hell. Yeah. In the it yeah. Be paradise, so yeah. It, yeah. Says like- it doesn't make sense at all, does it? Jesus is just plain wrong. <laughs> gets his days all confused yeah the, so the frustrating thing is in Luke it's not in John because if it's in John it makes sense but in Luke he, Jesus says to the thief on the cross so, so you remember the story right you know, there's a thief on either side and one of them hears the word of God and repents and he says Lord remember when you come to your kingdom and Jesus says today you'll be with me in paradise and you're like but it's, you're not you're not going to paradise today Jesus you're going to the tomb. What in the world? See, the problem is, when does Jesus rise from the dead? Three days. When does he ascend into heaven? Forty, Forty days after that. So he should have said, I tell you the truth, in 43 days you'll be with <laughs> me in paradise. <laughs> right that. What are you yeah exactly I'm like Jesus you've got your timing all wrong you haven't gone to church in Lent and then forgotten to go back 40 days later on Thursday night for Ascension service right and it's like what's going on here oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the Trinity is still the Trinity whether whether oh, well, you just tell me that the Father and the Holy Spirit are up in... Paradise. Right. And he doesn't say you'll be with my Father and the Spirit of it. He said you'll be with... Me. Me. So, but he doesn't go to paradise. But he can, if he's God, can't God be everywhere? No. No. <laughs> We're not playing that card yet. He's still in the state of humiliation. We only play that card later. That's after the ascension so the bigger problem is not only is he 33 days off he's still got work to do that isn't exactly paradise work he's got to go to hell right he's got to sleep in the tomb and he's got to move a rock and get out so what does he mean Matt yeah I don't know <clears throat> How's it all work? Oh, yes, yeah, Susan. Go ahead. You. Okay. So maybe the thief dies that day. And oh! There. But then where's Jesus? See, the problem is not you'll be in paradise. The problem is you'll be with me in paradise. But Jesus doesn't go to paradise. But it will be with God. But we we'll don't we'll see Jesus in body. And he won't be in body anymore, so he will be with, because he's not in body. The only thing Jesus on earth in body. You're, you're, you're nitpicking here. I'm not nitpicking. I'm just reading the text. I'm just reading the text. So, so the problem is then, in between. So here's the issue. So basically, what happens is Jesus dies Friday afternoon, right? He dies at 3 on Friday. And then, yeah, (laughs) yes, because the Bible says so. And then Saturday, what's he doing? Sleeping. He's in the tomb. Okay, he's keeping the Sabbath by resting from his labors. He's dead. Is a is the easier way to say it. He's dead, right? Is Jesus really dead, or does he just appear to be dead? Is his body dead, but his spirit's alive? No, he's dead. No, he's just dead. Okay? He's just dead. Whatever you want to say about dead, that's what Jesus is. He's dead. He's not alive. He's not faking it. He's not hiding. He's dead. Which means, what's he doing? Nothing. Okay? So then, when does he rise? On the third day. On Sunday, he rises from the dead. Okay? So, this is three days. Right? One, two, three. So, on the third day, he Rises from the dead. Okay, so he dies on Friday. He rests on Saturday. He rises on Sunday. Now, in this time, you've got to have some kind of descent into hell. He descends into hell. When? Between three and six. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's, Wait, here's the... On the so, it's probably not on Saturday. So, here's the point. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know. The, the descent into hell is really only explicitly referenced in 1 Peter chapter 3, and that reference doesn't really help much. Okay? So, the descent into hell, there's a couple of things we can say about it. First of all, it was the entire Jesus that descended into hell, not just part of Jesus, but the whole Jesus. Okay, so when he descended into hell, he descended with his body and his spirit, all of Jesus, all the time. Right? We're not splitting up Jesus, having him go part places, part there, part here. <clears throat> Do you get all of Jesus when you get Jesus? Yes, yes. So is he present in the Lord's Supper partially? No. Or is he really present in the Lord's Supper? Yes all of Jesus all the time, right? Yeah. Okay. So, where whenever he does this, he does it as him, body, soul. And he does not go to hell to suffer. He goes to hell as the victor. Okay? And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, he goes to proclaim to the captives what's going on. Okay? So, that's what we can say about the descent into hells. It's it's be, it's after the death on the cross, it's before the resurrection on Easter morning where the, when he's seen by people. He goes there as him, the whole him, and it's not suffering, it's to proclaim victory. Other than that, we don't have a clue what happened. Okay? Anybody want to add anything to that or subtract from that? You notice all the theologians in the room are going. Because <laughs> this is one thing, I don't know. We, we kind of just don't know a whole lot about this. We've, we've kind of exhausted everything we know. Sunday says, don't me because I have not been. have not yet ascended to my father. But that happens in 40 days. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay, now, let's get back to this paradise thing. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. What is he telling the thief on the cross? <clears throat> yeah you're going to heaven that's what I'm going to talk about it but why does it say today because the sign will never be without Jesus right what, because the whole point is paradise is to be with Jesus paradise is to be where Jesus is period do you care where that is I don't if it's where Jesus is, that's where I want to be. And that's paradise. Because I believe that He is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in Him I have life. So wherever He is, that's where I want to live. If He is in the sacrament, where should you be? Receiving the sacrament. Is he, if He is here among the body of Christ at worship in His Word and His sacraments, where ought to you be? Where he is. If he says, hey, guess what? If you open my word at your house and read it, I'll be there with you. Guess where you should be? In his word. That's where he promises to be. Guess what that is? Paradise. There will come a day when you will live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time in the fellowship of Jesus, and that will be called paradise. And guess what you will never do? Anything according to your own will. You will never sin. You will never have your own will. You will always do everything in accordance with his will. Why don't you try that now? It's called paradise. Give it a shot. No, 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 no. I want to do what I want to do because I know better than God. Uh, No, not paradise. (laughs) Where will the people be that are doing their own will all the time? No. Hell. Don't get them confused. Um, yeah. Yes, Scott. You said we'll have no will. I said you'll never do your own will. Could I not counter that by saying my will and will be perfectly aligned with Jesus? And I can counter that by saying you won't care about you. You won't, be, you won't be preoccupied with whether or not you have the right to have a will. I agree with you. Your will will always be in line with Jesus. But you won't be preoccupied with this notion that I need to have the right to have my own will. That's a very... I won't care, I won't care what my will is. I, I would just be happy to do his will all the time. That's the point. Right? I mean, at the, at the basis of the argument about whether or not we have free will is the obsession with the need to have our own will. Shouldn't it be good news to hear that you don't have a free will? We a robot you I would love to be a robot. Oh my goodness. And Robin would love it if I was a robot. <laughs> She's like, dude, all you ever do is love me, love your neighbor, and love God. What is wrong with you? no she'd be like this is the best life ever <laughs> right yeah. right Matt yeah. would, would it be that I were a robot only doing God's will please please Lord let that be kill this will kill it and raise up Christ in me that everything I do might be done to the glory of God and to the service of my neighbor Everything, every thought, every word, every deed, to the glory of God and to the be- for the betterment of my neighbor. Right? Isn't that what you prayed? I heard you. I heard some of you. Some of you skipped church. I heard you guys saying it <laughs> in early service. Is that skipping church? That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. I heard you say it. That's your prayer, not just mine. Right? I'm just kidding, if you didn't go to early service, you're allowed to go to late. It doesn't quite count as much, but it's, you know, you get most credit, don't they? Don't they get most credit for that? Like 75% or something? I don't know. Anyway, number two. Who was involved in Baptism in Jesus? Okay, now. What here's what I want you to do. We are going to we're gonna look at some passages because the point of the book is to remember that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And here's the point. What does the word Christ mean? Messiah. Messiah. It's the same word as Messiah. And what do Christ and Messiah both mean? Sent his apostle. They both are words that are literally the word for anoint. Okay? So, Messiah in Hebrew is to anoint or the one who is anointed in this form. The Christ, if you ever heard of a, of a chrism? right? That's the anointing with oil. So, the Christ, these are both, this is the Greek and this is the Hebrew for the one who is anointed or anointed dude. Okay? So, anointed one. An anointed. Uh, anointed usually means to pour oil upon something. Usually, not always. okay. But the point is that we are believing that Jesus is the Old Testament Messiah. So in the Old Testament, God actually says, There will be an anointed one, and I will pour my spirit on him. Let's go to Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Remember, it's in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible to the very middle, if it's not a study Bible in the Book of Psalms, if it is a study Bible. You're close to Isaiah, so Isaiah is a little bit past the Book of Psalms, right? It's the first of the major prophets: Isaiah, Jeremiah, then you got Lamentation in there, but then Ezekiel, and Daniel, right? Okay, Isaiah chapter eleven. These are going to be easy to memorize because it's all verse one. It's 42, one and sixty one one. If you want to know, so 11, 1, Isaiah 11, 1. We read Isaiah 12 in early service. If you skip church, you can go to late. You'll get partial credit. (laughs) Isaiah 12 is is a really good chapter to read as well. Okay, so look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 (laughs) and 3. I mean, you could just read a whole bunch on this, but but this is a classic uh, prophecy of the Messiah. Okay, Isaiah 11. Let's read verses 1 and 2 and three and four and five you know it just keeps going let's just read one two one and two Isaiah 11 one and two a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit the spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and of power the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord yeah let's read three and he will delight in the fear of the Lord he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Okay, so who is the stump from the root of Jesse? Jesus. Jesus. Uh, yes. <laughs> but first, who is Jesse's son? David. David. Okay, so this is a prophecy of the Davidic kingdom. Okay, the Davidic anointed king. So Isaiah is, su- is saying there will come a king in the line of David. Now, what is the promise to the line of David? In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God says to David, your son will sit on the throne of Israel, specifically Judah, forever. Forever. Solomon came and he sat on the throne for a while. And then his son sat on the throne and the kingdom split and then it all kind of all fell apart. And then we had in 586, Jerusalem was destroyed. There's no more king of David sitting on the throne. As a matter of fact, the king of David had his eyes gouged out and all kinds of bad stuff. Right? They're like, ah! So they were looking for a Davidic king. All right? And the promise is that the one who comes to fulfill the promises to David, so the stump for the root of Jesse, the tree's been cut down, yet something's going to grow out of the, out of the stump Right So this Davidic king will be anointed. And how will you know this? Because verse two, "The spirit of the Lord shall And now John says that John the Baptist said, "I knew it was the one that was supposed to come because the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. He came down and remained upon him." Right? So John the Baptist is saying, this is the guy Isaiah was talking about. Right? Remember your Davidic prophecies? O Israel and Isaiah, this is the guy. This is the stump of the root of Jesse, right? Out of the, the, what does he say? The root, the shoot out of the stump of Jesse, right? The branch that will bear fruit. And if you read later in John 15, (coughs) he's the branch and the fruit and all that kind of stuff. And the spirit of the Lord is resting upon him. Now, go to Isaiah chapter 42. Verse 1. Okay, so there you go. So, Yahweh is speaking, and he says, Behold my servant in whom I trust, or whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I will put my spirit upon him. Okay? So again, we have the, I, the Old Testament idea of the servant of God. Remember how he looked at that with the word the Lamb of God, we looked in Isaiah 52 and 53, how the servant of God will be the sacrificial offering. Well, in 42 is the first song about this servant in which he says, this servant of mine who will end up as a sacrificial offering, I will put my spirit on him. And that's the mark of the servant of God is that the spirit will be upon him. Right? So the baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist is saying, look, That's the promised one. That's God's elect one. That's God's son because the spirit is upon him. I saw it. Testify to it. All right, Isaiah 61, verse one. Isaiah is a long book, by the way. 61, one. Has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to claim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Okay, and you can keep going, but you yeah, just keep going. You know, actually, you know a lot of the passages that follows. So we read it. Okay, so again, what does it say? The anointed one, right? So this is the anointed one of God, the one on whom the Spirit is put. Do you see all that? So all of this is tied up in the idea when John the Baptist says the Spirit was upon that guy, therefore he's the Messiah. Okay? Right? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? The Messiah. Now, go to Ezekiel, which is always a scary place to go. Ezekiel, so go forward. You have Isaiah, then you have Jeremiah, Lamentations, a little book about... Where- Probably by Jeremiah, five chapters long, and the next book is Ezekiel, big old book. Doesn't make any sense. It's okay though. Horace Hummel wrote a really long commentary on it. You can make your way through it. So this dude named Horace Hummel, amazing guy, really smart. He wrote a two-volume commentary on Ezekiel for Concordia Publishing House, which is really cool. Most of it's in Hebrew. He hand wrote the entire thing and submitted this entire commentary in handwritten notes. Which is awesome unless unless you're the person who has to then type all that into a computer. <laughs> so CPH usually sends out commentaries to authors with a template that you're supposed to type into in Word, and they just send it back, you know, then he just types at it and fix it. No, he actually sends in his written handwritten you know, thousand pages. Yeah. Anyway, isn't that fun? Alright. That has nothing to do with anything. I was just that was just a fun story. All right. Ezekiel thirty-six. Let's go to verse twenty-six and twenty-seven. This is less about Jesus and more about the effect of Jesus being baptized and what it has on on God's people. Okay? So Ezekiel thirty-six, verses twenty-six and twenty-seven. put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Whoa. It's almost like Ezekiel like knows about baptism. Right? Now, who's going to do that? Who's going to give you a new heart? Let's look up at verse 23. I hate doing this, but for expediency's sake, skip the first sentence in 23. Just go to the, where it starts, and. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh. Right? That's the Lord. So that's the, in Hebrew, it says Yahweh. The nations will know that I am Yahweh when I put my spirit in you to remove your heart of stone. See how it reads? Do you see that? So, in John chapter one, Jesus is receiving the Holy Spirit. Does John ever give the ho- Does Jesus ever give the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John? Because if he does, guess who he is? Yeah. He's Yahweh. So, go to John chapter twenty. Gospel of John, Chapter Twenty. Okay, verse twenty two. John twenty, twenty two. Keep going. If you forgive anyone who sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay, so in the beginning of the gospel, Jesus receives the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells upon him. And so he is the Messiah, the Son of God, right? At the end of the gospel, that spirit is now given to the apostles, See, Jesus is the promised Messiah. He receives the Holy Spirit as an anointing from the Father, and he is Yahweh himself who gives forth his own Spirit to his people. See how it works? So Jesus receives the Holy Spirit from the Father, he is the Messiah the very Son of God. And he gives forth the Holy Spirit to his church, to his people, because he himself is Yahweh in the flesh. And so we have both of these things fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. And guess what? If you believe, it's because you have the Holy... Tom, where are you? This whole class has been dedicated to Tom, by the way. (laughs) He's loving life, just living in the spirit, right? So, did you see how it works? This whole thing is tied up in this one little episode of the baptism of Jesus where John the Baptist is describing what happened. It's all in there. Actually, there's more that we're skipping, but it's not my fault. We only have an hour together. Okay, questions so far? Does that make sense? Did it freak anyone out? I just think it's interesting that, you know, before um, John the Baptist was born that when Mary went to see Elizabeth. Yeah. And she spent like three months there. And then they never so in all those years they, they were related they never see each other and then until they're in their thirties. Right. You know I mean? And then well, we don't know. They probably grew up together. But then they probably parted ways when they got older, it seems. John says he never knew him. Well, he doesn't know him, but it doesn't mean he doesn't know who he is. He just doesn't know he doesn't know that he's the Messiah, that he's like God in the flesh. That's what it seems. Because he knows he would have known who he is. I mean, he recognizes him. He says, look, Lame of God. Right? So he knows who he is. But for some reason, and that's and that's part of the verbs in the, in the Gospel of John, the verb to know is not just to physically recognize, it's to actually know as in to believe and trust who Jesus is, right? Remember this, the Pharisees know who Jesus is, right? It's not like during the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus is doing something they're like, who is that guy? No, everyone knows who Jesus is, but they don't know Jesus, meaning believe in him, trust in him, follow him. Right? See, your witness is not just to introduce Jesus to the world so that you can identify him. No, it's that we might say these things that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. See, that's knowing. To know is to believe in him as the Christ, the Son of God. Why the episode of, uh, of John leaping in Elizabeth's womb? That and, was, it, it kind of gives the flavor that he does Already know Jesus. Yeah, he does. He absolutely knows him. Well, but he doesn't know him. <laughs> I mean, before you're born, I mean, yeah. I mean, before he you knows, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, that's the Messiah. Wee. And John's like, cool. But he's, he's a little young at that point to ex- <laughs> elucidate on these ideas, right? Yeah, I mean, and so in Luke chapter 1, you have the crazy, the crazy, crazy, crazy story of John the Baptist. He's in Elizabeth's womb, right? And he believes in Jesus. I have no idea why you'd baptize infants. There's no way the Holy Spirit could work faith in the heart of an infant, right? We just have this little story in Luke where there's an infant inside the mother's womb who's believing in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit can work in whom? Anyone! Anyone. Who's included in anyone? Anyone? Everyone! (laughs) Right? (laughs) Who's excluded from everyone? No No one! Okay? So... Can the Holy Spirit work in an infant's heart to get them to believe? Yes. Can an infant work, or can the Holy Spirit work in an old person's heart to get them to believe? Yes. Can the Holy Spirit work in a smart person? Sometimes. Can the Holy Spirit work in a dumb person? See, who's excluded from everyone? No one. Who's included in anyone? Everyone. So then who do we witness to? Everyone. This is is such a huge, groundbreaking and mind-boggling change of the New Testament from the Old Testament. This is what the early church was wrestling with. Is the gospel really for everyone? Or is it just for everyone who is inside of Israel? And they assume that when God means everyone, he means every Israelite. And what Paul and Peter say in Acts chapter 15 is, actually, I think he means everyone. Men of every nation. Acts chapter 10, Peter says, I now understand that God shows no favoritism, but men from any nation. (coughs) Right? Everyone. Everyone. That's the way God loves. For God so loves the world. world. Now we know what he meant was the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. (laughs) (laughs) Right. At least, at least the most important of those he loves. Right. See, and that's and that's the point. We can't read the Bible that way, right? You can't read yourself into the Bible and say this is all about me. That's the wrong way to read Scripture. It's all about God's love in Christ for the world. And if that includes me, yay. Exactly. <laughs> yay. That's the reason to rejoice. If it even includes a sinner like me. me, that's a reason to rejoice. Okay? Did everybody get that? Is that cool? All right. Number three. got to get through three questions. <laughs> For some reason. Well, it's just an idea. Hey, we got through one. We got through one. That's pretty good. Okay, and we got through two, mostly. So three. So who are we to trust? No, not Jesus. John the Baptist. <laughs> Oddly enough. Verse 34. I have seen... And I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Okay? And so remember, the whole book is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So John the Baptist is (laughs) testifying that this is truly the Son of God, because if you believe that, you'll have life. So we are supposed to trust John the Baptist for what he has seen and what he testifies to. So, John is a reliable witness. Now, why is he a reliable witness? What's that? He's seen him. He's He's an eyewitness. Okay, but lots of people were eyewitnesses, but why is John reliable in his eyewitness account? He saw the Spirit rest on him. him. That's nice. But why is John a reliable witness in his eyewitness account of what he saw? A lot of people saw all this and we don't believe what they say. Because God is the one who sent him to be the witness. John chapter 1, verse 5, right? Or 6, I mean, sorry. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God in order to be a witness. And guess what John is doing? He's fulfilling his role that he was sent from God to do. Now, by implication, can you trust the gospel of John? Yes, yes because it's saying the same thing that John the Baptist is saying. It's looking at Jesus and saying, This is the anointed one, the son of God. Does that make sense? You see how that works? You see what John is doing in his gospel here? He's saying, you can trust John the Baptist because he agrees with Isaiah. He agrees with the events of Jesus' life. And he's seeing all that in terms of God's promises in the Old Testament. And God's the one who sent him to tell us this. And I'm telling you the same truth as he's saying. So if you can trust him, you can trust my gospel. So as we go through, we're going to find out that John's going to keep telling us that there are reliable witnesses and there are unreliable witnesses. Reliable witnesses will always tell you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by believing you'll have life in his name. Unreliable witnesses will always tell you the opposite. Does that make sense? Questions, thoughts? Are there any books in the Bible that are unreliable witnesses? They record people that are unreliable witnesses. They'll even record speeches that are not reliable. Are there any books in that in and of themselves are unreliable? This is what we mean by inspired and inerrant, Right? This is the book that tells you the truth about Jesus. What parts of it can you trust? All of it. Because this is the book the Spirit has given us that testifies about Jesus. See how it works? If there's a book that comes along that talks about Jesus that we're saying, no, I wouldn't trust in that. We don't include that in the books that God gave us to believe in about Jesus. There are a lot of books out there about Jesus. Some of them are pretty good. But they're not these. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. Let's, let's go ahead and read, just because. You know. Let's read 1, to 42. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus' walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, what, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he found him, he found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Christ. Okay, thank you very much. One thing, really fast, I just want to show you this because it's crazy fun and it's the Gospel of John, which is a Gospel to have fun with, right? Did you notice something that John does three times in this text that might not seem to have any meaning to you, but it actually does mean something because he does it three times. So whenever John does three things, you're supposed to pay attention and listen. So in this section, he does something three times, which is kind of unique. Verse 38. And I said to him, Rabbi which means teacher, right? In 41, we have found the Messiah, which means-, which means the Christ. And in 42, you shall be called Cephas, which means, which means Peter. Three times he, he translates words for you. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? I have no idea why he does it, but I think it's important. So we might want to pay attention be- to Rabbi, Christ, and Peter. Peter? <laughs> That's just weird. <clears throat> Who is John chapter twenty-one all about? What is John chapter one twenty-one about? Peter. Peter. Peter denies knowing Jesus. John chapter 1, 21. Peter, who's naked, right? He's working in a boat fishing and he's buck naked because the whole world knows his sin. It's all laid before them. The whole world knows that this is the apostle that denied knowing his savior. He's naked, ashamed. Jesus is standing on the shore and he restores Peter to his position three times. He says, do you love me? Feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, right? Feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. He restores him as what do we call a shepherd of God's people? What's that word we could use for them? Pastor. Pastor. Jesus restores Peter as pastor three times after Peter fell away from being qualified to be in the office. Right, John chapter twenty. Do you have any of these words in John chapter twenty? Mary is at the tomb and she's like, I I don't get it. The tomb is empty. I don't know where they put his body. She goes and tells the disciples. They come and say, Sure enough, the tomb is empty. And Mary is like, Guys, we still got to find the body. And this guy shows up and and he, and she's like, Oh, you're the gardener. Great. Maybe you know where they put the body, sir. If you've taken it, I'm not mad. I'm not going to beat you up or nothing. I just want to know where the body is so I can take care of it because I got to anoint it with spices because the men tried, and they messed the whole thing up. I got to take care of the body. And he says, Mary, I'm not the gardener. <laughs> and she turns to him and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher, <clears throat> rabbi. Same word. See? See? So again, these, all of these words are pointing us ahead to Jesus at the resurrection. So what does that mean? The one that we missed, the Christ. When is Jesus anointed as the Christ? At his baptism, which is fulfilled at his death. You will see him as the Christ when he is the risen one who was crucified. That's the fulfillment of his role as the servant of Yahweh. Remember, the servant of Yahweh who will die for the sins of his people. That's where you'll see him as the servant Messiah, Yahweh. Okay. So these three things that John kind of says, which you know, which really means this, they all point ahead to, to the end of the narrative. John is writing this because you've read the whole book. You know how it ends. And he's saying, don't miss this. This is all pointing us toward the end. There's a lot more that we got to do, but you know, it's not eternal yet. So today you'll not be with me in paradise. We'll have to wait for that. Then we'll do all of John in one session. Okay. Number four. I do want to do this before I go. How does John show he is faithful? How does he show that he is faithful to his calling? Which John? John the Baptist. In the text, John, sorry. 35 he returns with two disciples. ok he, he again points to Jesus and what do two of his disciples do follow they follow Jesus and what does John not say come back. hey come back and follow me no John is faithful because his disciples go to follow Jesus and he, and he encouraged them to do so because he came to point toward Jesus and you'll actually see this in the ministry of John the Baptist that he, he is now starting to decline in the gospel and he will finally just fade away. He will die. And Jesus will continue and get all the glory. And John the Baptist's role is to witness to the light, to say, go follow him. Don't follow me, follow him. Right? You can trust this guy to be a reliable witness because he says what God tells him to say and he does what God sends him to do. Right? All right. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we rejoice that in your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, we are brought to you. For he has come as your servant to redeem us from our sins, to take the punishment we deserve upon himself, to defeat our enemies of sin, death, and the devil, and to reconcile us unto you. And so let us live each day trusting in him, learning to live according to your will and rejoicing that the good news is for us. So also, Lord, empower us to believe and to live that this good, that this good news is good for every single person. For you so love the world that you sent your son. Teach us so to live in him, in Jesus' name. Thank you all.